like um, lead-in, actually, into the message this morning. Thank you so much, Deanna. <clears throat> Very good. Uh, it is good to be here together with you this morning. Um, fantastic that some of you physically came to join us, and also fantastic that so many of you are out there watching, um, and that we can be together like that. I'm looking forward to diving into Hebrews a little bit together with you. Jesse started us off on that journey the last two Sundays. Um, anybody know what the symbol up on the screen, or uh, hopefully that you're also seeing it if you're at home, what that symbol means? Who can tell us? The symbol means, hey, somebody's whispering it out there. Uh, greater than actually is the is the technical uh, is the technical uh, mathematical way of of or oh, I think mathematical is the right word uh, way of saying it. It's greater. It's the greater than symbol. I haven't been here for the last two Sundays, but I believe that Jesse has at least several times used that phrase in some way, shape, or form as we begin as we've begun our little journey into. Uh, the book of Hebrews. By the way, I want to thank you. Many of you have expressed verbally your support and encouragement and your uh, prayer support as I was preaching or presenting in the Rose Isle Church the past two Sundays. It's a great little church. It's about 45 minutes uh, west of here, right close to Stephenfield. Um, it reminds me in many, way of our, in many ways of our church, actually. Uh, a little bit smaller than we are, but kind of a similar demographic, and it ha really has the country church feel. Uh, they've got a great young pastor couple there now, Fernando and Jen Hebert. They're actually originally from Brazil, came to study at Providence, and uh, ultimately ended up in Rose Isle. And uh, they've got three children between the ages of six and ten, and uh, in there they've got twins also, so that gives Pearl and me a little bit of a connection. Uh, reminded me actually, as I watched them, reminds me actually very much of who we were as a family when we moved to um, Rosenort 23 years ago. Today, today, 23rd anniversary for us being in Rosenort. That's right. Thank you very much. That's not why I said it, but uh, thank you anyways. Um, and then, of course, uh, May 2nd, that was a Saturday, 23 years ago. And then the following day, May 3rd, was our first Sunday as pastor couple here at the Pleasant Valley Church. I remember that day well. And I want to thank all of you that are here and also all of you watching uh, for the way in which you have been a part of our family's pastoring journey here in Pleasant Valley in the last 23 years. Um, it's, been, it's been an incredible journey for us as a family. Um, also, I'd like to say thank you to, uh, to you as a church family because I feel in many ways um, I am at a place now in, in the ministry journey here at Pleasant Valley and also in life where I have the opportunity to do a little bit of, of support ministry in different churches, particularly in our EM conference. And I really honestly feel like you as a church family are in that together with me. And so I want to thank you for supporting me, us, as I go and do some of this. I really get excited when I see young uh, pastoring families like Fernando and Jen in Rose Isle and others who are beginning their pastoring journey. And if I can in some way be a little bit of an encouragement and a support, 
uh, to some of those young families, those young pastors, um, it gives me an incredible amount of pleasure and enjoyment. So Jesse began, together with you, uh, this journey into the book of Hebrews. And like I said, one of the phrases that he has used a few times is the phrase, greater than. Much of this book of Hebrews is uh, the author helping the people to understand how the coming uh, of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross, and the coming of the Holy Spirit subsequently, and our relationship with God through Jesus is so much greater than greater than that which they and their fathers, uh, forefathers have been living with way back from the Old Testament times all the way into their present uh, Jewish system with all of its laws and rituals and sacrifices and kind of a distant, uh, rigid communication system with God. And the author here is trying to convince the people to believe that life, a personal relationship with Jesus, is so much greater than that which they have been able to or have been living with up until this time. So here's this, this group of, of uh, mostly kind of converted um, Jewish background people who come from a very traditional, uh, kind of rigid, uh, law-abiding religious system. And praise God, they've come to embrace Jesus and accept Jesus and, and, and accept his free forgiveness by grace through faith as a result of Jesus' death on the cross. And they've made some huge positive strides forward, this group of people. However, as the book of Hebrews is being written, these people are experiencing two very human tendencies. One is highlighted in the verse that Jesse mentioned very specifically last week, chapter 2, verse 1. Pay careful attention so that you do not drift away. First tendency. Is it not true that any time that you begin to make positive changes in your life, whether that's with your food habits or your work habits or your drinking habits or your speaking habits or exercising or Bible reading or any other positive changes that you are making in your life, you're, you're moving, you're being intentional, you're being disciplined, you're striving forward, you're moving forward, is it not true that somewhere at some point when you begin to relax a little bit and you become a little bit less intentional and you begin to ease up on yourself a little bit, you take the foot off the gas, so to speak, what happens? You begin to drift back. It's crazy. And, and I've wondered sometimes, why wouldn't the opposite be true? Why wouldn't it be true that if we strive and we work and we discipline ourselves and we, and we uh, are very intentional about making positive changes and then the time comes and we begin to relax a little bit and we ease off and we take our foot off the gas, why wouldn't it be true that we would just kind of keep drifting forward without a lot of intention, just keep on, it's just getting better and better and better all by itself. Mm -hmm. Doesn't happen. For some reason, we become less intentional, um, less disciplined, and we begin to drift back. 
how it works. It's one of the human tendencies that this, this group of people is experiencing. The second human tendency that they are also experience, experiencing is the, the temptation to intentionally go back, to return to their old ways. I mean, after all, it was so much better back there. And this is ultimately exactly what the author here is trying to address and to challenge with these people because these people were tempted to believe exactly this. You know what? It was better back there. It was easier back then. It's kind of a normal way for us to think, actually. Everything was always better back there. It used to be so much better. Everything used to be so much better. Maybe we should just go back to the old systematic, traditional way of doing things. The audience here is a group of people that, for the most part, had come out of that old traditional Jewish system, and they had believed in the message of Jesus and his death on the cross and freedom through a relationship with him, and they had rejoiced in that amazing new life. And now the honeymoon was over. The initial excitement had faded. The pressure was mounting. I think Jesse alluded to that last Sunday. And the trials and temptations were getting stronger and bigger. And they were starting to shake their heads and say, ah, why don't we just go back to that old system? Back to our old way of doing things. It, was, it just felt so much easier and so much safer. It was just easier back there. Far too often when someone is familiar with a certain way of life, even though it wasn't great, but at least it was familiar and it was predictable. And so the temptation is just to go back. And so much of this book is, is devoted to challenging the people about these two human tendencies. Be careful that you don't drift back. And also let me challenge you to fight the temptation to go back. And he's showing the people that Jesus and the new covenant, the new plan, an ongoing living relationship with Jesus because of his death on the cross is so much greater than the old system that they had come from. It's worth fighting against the natural drift. It's worth fighting against the temptation to go back. Jesus is worth it because he is so much greater than so let's head into chapter 3 uh, with those preliminary thoughts in our minds. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Why? Because he is greater than. He is greater than what you used to have. And then he jumps into, in the next uh, four or five verses, verses 2 to 6, he jumps into an interesting comparison that kind of leads us into the lesson that we, the greater than lesson that we want to talk about today. In, in verses 2 to 6, in chapter 3 here, he jumps into a comparison between Jesus and Moses. He's going to kind of compare those two a little bit. See, Moses was one of the heroes in their religious system. He was one of the biggest heroes in, in the tradition that they were tempted to drift back to or go back to, back to their roots. I mean, who wouldn't want to go back to a system that revered 
what Moses had done for their forefathers. Moses was incredible. And the author here is totally willing to concede that. Oh, yes. Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. But then he jumps into an, an interesting word picture. And he says, if Moses is a faithful servant in God's house, remember, Jesus is actually the builder of the house. So Moses was faithful as a servant in the house, but Jesus is actually the builder of the house, if we want to use that terminology or that word picture. And then he goes on a little rabbit trail, and it kind of resonates with me because of house building and all of that. He makes an interesting point. He says, see... There's actually nothing great about a house. I sometimes wonder if we actually have that mixed up a little bit. You know, we look at, we drive around, we look at houses, and we see this beautiful house, and we are amazed at the house. But have you ever thought of it? There's actually nothing amazing about a house. It's actually only a pile of wood and stone and dirt really not very amazing. A pile of wood and stone and dirt. Don't be amazed by a pile of wood and stone and dirt. But be amazed that there was a builder that had the skill to take that pile of raw materials and put them together in a way that makes the house function and on top of that look amazing. The house has no ability in and of itself at all. It's all about the builder. Nowadays, we would maybe say the designer and the architect and the engineer and the builders, so be it. All of them contributed to the house, but the house itself, no matter how grand it looks, is nothing but a pile of raw material. Well, here the author says, so I will grant you. I will grant you that Moses was a faithful servant in the house. That's very good and all. But Jesus is the builder of the house. In fact, he's the builder of everything. In fact, he's the designer and the architect and the engineer and the builder all packaged into one. Oh, and then he throws in a little side note. Oh, and, and we as a group of people, and I kind of like to think of that here now personally as the Pleasant Valley Church. And we as a group of people, we get to be one of the houses that Jesus built. Jesus is so much greater than Moses. So, that's a cool little illustration. It's kind of a bold statement. Uh, but we still don't know what is Jesus actually greater at than Moses was. Well, what is it that Moses was best known for? A few different things, but in their religious system, very specifically, he was a hero in their religious system because he was the one who was credited for leading the people out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land. It becomes the foundational story, kind of, of the Old Testament. If the main story of the New Testament, and I would contend that it is, is the death of Jesus on the cross, everything kind of revolves around that 
part of the New Testament story. In the Old Testament, I would contend that kind of the main story, everything else is kind of built around, is this story of the Israelites being in Egypt and this dramatic rescue mission of Moses going there and, and getting the people together and then moving them out of Egypt and moving them across the wilderness and into the promised land. That's kind of a, becomes a symbolic um, story, the, the kind of the key symbolic story of the Old Testament. It, it became a pivotal story for their religious system. It had huge implications for them. Uh, and, and here's kind of why. See, Egypt began to take on kind of the epitome. Uh, it symbolized darkness and bondage and evil and slavery. Life was tough for the people in Egypt. The comparison is starting to build here. Life was tough for the people in Egypt. Life is tough for you people right now, the author is saying to the Hebrews. And if we wanted to make one more comparison, we could say, in general, life here on earth is tough for all of you and the rest of humanity right now. And so we're beginning to build this, this comparison. So Moses comes, and he goes into that tough world in Egypt, and he rallies the people together, and he rescues them, and he brings them in a dramatic way out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, and ultimately into the Promised Land with the help of, of Joshua. But Moses is the one who's kind of seen as the hero that did this dramatic rescue and brought them to the Promised Land into a place uh, of, of, ultimately, of rest. It's exactly what was happening to the Hebrews, actually. Um, it's, it's interesting because these, these people that, uh, that were being rescued by Moses, they, they, in a dramatic way, into the, the, the wilderness where they did a whole bunch of whining and complaining and wishing that they were back in Egypt. Let's just go back. Let's just go back. It wasn't great there, but at least we were going to be fed a little bit, and at least, let's just go back. And here we have the Hebrew people. Life is tough. Bombarded from all sides, and they're tempted to go back. Let's just go back to our old religious system. And here the author of Hebrews is reminding them, but listen, listen. The people stuck it out back then. The, the, the Israelites, they stuck it out. And they stuck with it. And they finally entered the promised land. Their place of rest. They finally got there. Because they continued to follow Moses, their Savior. It's kind of the comparison here. They got to their new home, their place of rest. They finally had a home, a physical place, remember the word physical, that they could call home a physical place where they would be secure. See, for hundreds of years, since the time of Abraham, when God adopted Abraham and his descendants as his chosen people, they really had not had 
a home. They had been moving around. They had been a nomadic people. They had ended up in captivity in Egypt. From there, they ended up traveling around in the wilderness for 40 years. They have, in the big picture, not had a place to call home, a place of rest, a place where they did not need to be constantly on the move and fighting and scavenging and hunting and being on guard, a place where they could be in a spirit of rest simply because they were at home. And these people are thinking, that's what we feel like. We are being hounded on one side by the Romans. We're being hounded on the other side by our own uh, Jewish friends or, or, or the, the Jewish system that we came from. They now hate us too. We are in the middle and we don't belong anywhere. We have no home. We have no place where we can rest and be relaxed and just be because it's home. There was a time when we sat our kids down and we talked to them about our home. This was many, many years ago. Um, and here's what we said to them. We said, the world out there is a, is a mean place. It's a tough place. You have to perform, and when you don't measure up, people are going to be disappointed in you, and they're going to make fun of you, and there's going to be peer pressure, and there's going to be time pressure, and there's going to be performance pressure. That is why we need a home, a place where you can come and you can know that you will be loved and cared for and accepted. Not on the basis of your performance, but on the basis of the simple fact that this is your place, your family, your home. You belong here. You will be safe here. And then we did our little parental teaching moment. So, we don't cut each other down here because this has to be a safe place for all of us. It's tough enough out there. We don't need to have a home where it's also tough. This must be a safe place of rest for all of us. Now, that does not mean that we don't work hard here. I mean, we know that uh, often we bust our butts in the home trying to keep things functioning and going and maintained and cleaned and fed. But even when it's crazy busy in the home, because it is home, it can be a place of rest. Because it is a safe place. It's a secure place. Now that is what God was promising His people in the Old Testament. His desire was that the people would be able to move out of Egypt through the wilderness and into, it's called this actually, into a glorious inheritance in the land of Canaan, their promised land, their home, their place of rest. And Moses was the hero that made all of this happen for them. And it became this huge, pivotal event in their religious system. In many ways, this re their religious system was built around this event and ultimately around the physical location, the land mass into which they had moved, which became their home. That piece of land is our home. That piece of land is where we can rest. In some ways, the Jewish system still struggles with this. That's maybe a message for another time. But Moses was the hero that brought them this amazing rest. Now listen to how chapter 4 starts. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. 
What offer still stands? The offer to find rest in the physical landmass of Israel? No, 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 no. That is where Jesus is so much greater. Because in Jesus, you can enter that rest regardless of where you are at. Regardless of where you're at as far as physical condition is, or physical location is, or emotional condition, or your mind condition, or where you're at financially, or where you're at in age, or where you're at job-wise, or what your life circumstances are. Regardless of where you are at, or where life is at, Jesus is offering you rest. A place of security. A place of safety. A home. 11 times in chapter 4, he uses the word rest. And several more times, he kind of alludes to it. And I can hear many of you say, please, yes. I need rest. It's probably something that I see daily in the eyes of many of you people and many other people. People are tired. You are tired. Everyone, uh, every time another announcement is made, our government tries their best to say, we, we, we recognize you are tired. And I feel like saying, yep, we are. And we would love to have rest. Now, I want to be careful here. Because not for a minute am I negating the tiredness that is out there and the tiredness that you feel and that I sometimes feel. But I don't either want to just pat you on the back and send you home. Well, I guess most of you are home, but... And say, I know it sucks, but you will just have to keep on being tired. I know it's tough, but you can make it. After all, being tired isn't as bad as being dead. That's, that's kind of the, the general mantra that we hear often. I don't know, but it's, it's one of the things that I've noticed in the announcements that we keep hearing. There's kind of no hope. Not really. I mean, just keep on doing the same thing that you've, been made, that you've been made to do for the past year and the same thing that has made you tired. Just keep on doing those same things, and I guess the implication is, and, and, and keep on being tired. Now, hang on. I'm not here to judge the government for saying that. Not, not for a moment. It isn't their job to give you real hope. That's the church's job. That's the job of people who know Jesus and what he is offering. It's our job to tell the world that there is hope. There is rest available. That's what it says here in chapter 4. Now let's quickly say, right now we're kind of using this, this COVID tiredness as our backdrop. But actually, uh, if it wasn't if it wasn't for that right now, it's just as common in the non-COVID culture world. I don't know if you can think back that far or not. But actually, in our non-COVID culture, pretty much everyone was just as tired and stressed out as we think we are now. Because that's how our world tells us that we should be doing life. You don't amount to much if you can't tell people how crazy busy and stressed out you are. 
I love the main challenge here in chapter 4, in verse 1. Don't settle for that. Don't get sucked into that. Make sure you don't fall short of the rest that I am offering you. Listen again to verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Don't, 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 don't settle for less than what's available to you. The promise of rest still stands only in a far greater way than what Moses offered the people. Be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Fallen short of what? Being at a place of rest in your spirit. Moses' offer was all about, you know, getting to exactly the right place and the right situation in life, and then once we will be there, then, voila, we'll be at rest. Here the author is saying, people, with Jesus, it's not like that. You don't have to wait until you get to just the right place in life or until this, your situation or circumstances are just right. That's not how it is with Jesus. Jesus is offering you a spiritual home, a spiritual state of being, a spiritual condition where you know that you belong and you know that you are safe and accepted. It's not based on any kind of performance or on perfect life circumstances. You can be at rest simply because... With Jesus, you are at home, and you belong. You are being invited to rest in that truth. Now, here's the thing. When Israel got to the border of their inheritance, the border of the place into which they were going to move, and there they were going to be able to experience rest, they got to that border, they looked, and they said, we don't believe we can do it. We don't believe that we have what it takes to move in and fully experience the rest that God has been promising us. And they backed off and they continued wandering in the wilderness. They let go of their opportunity to live in a place of rest and instead settled for a life of relentless, weary wandering. And I sometimes wonder if we do the same. We're right on the brink. We're right there. And Jesus is offering us peace and rest and a place of, 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 of contentment, not because everything is perfect, but because we're in his hands, because we're right there, and we're standing right on the brink of embracing his rest that he's offering us. And we look at that and we go, ah, I don't know, I think I'm rather going to do it on my own. I think I'm rather going to trust in my own ability. I'm going to rather trust in my ability to take care of myself. And I'm going to trust in my ability to perform and, and get it all right. Rather than live in God's offer of a spiritual home and a place of rest in Jesus. I want to ask you something, and I want to challenge you to answer this question. Each of you, for yourself. Do you think God intends for you to live a life filled with weariness and exhaustion and stress. Force yourself to answer that question. Do you think God intends for us to live in a place of weariness and exhaustion and stress? 
I don't think it's a stretch to say that these words in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 are meant for us. The offer for rest still stands. Let me show you a little side note to the story of Moses in conclusion. If you go to Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 to 14, God is talking to Moses about this huge task that we've talked a little bit about here today, this huge task of going to Egypt and rallying the, this, this group of people who are fragmented and to somehow convince them to listen to his plan and then to lead them, probably by now a group of over 2 million people, and to physically lead that huge group of people on a journey to a new country. It was a massive, overwhelming task that God was asking of Moses. Do you want to know what God says to him as God is commissioning Moses for this massive task? Check Exodus 33, verse 14. And I can say this right now because, Marianne, you're sitting here. You wrote that verse into a card one time and gave it to me. Exodus 33, verse 14. Thank you. Here's what it says. As Moses is getting this commission for this huge task, this is what God says to him. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What? In the middle of this huge, overwhelming task? Yep. Yep. I am convinced that is what we are being offered here in Hebrews. You can take on the biggest task in the world. You can find yourself in the worst situation in the world. But if you're walking in the presence of Jesus, he will give you rest. My friends, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 says, The offer for rest still stands. We're going to sing a song together. Worship team, you can come on up. I first heard this song about six or seven years ago at a young adult retreat that I was speaking at. It was written by a friend of mine, Mo Friesen. He's one of the pastors at the Evangelical Fellowship Church in Steinbeck. It has blessed me so many times. And uh, several years ago, I was able to convince Mike to learn it and to teach it to all of you. And hopefully it can bless us again this morning in view of what we